Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the show. It's always great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here, Chris. Thank you. So Jen, there's a lot we can talk about. You've had a very extensive career, but I think we should start with some of the more exciting things you've done in the past. So let's give a rundown of your career, talking our audience through some of the exciting things you've done, particularly your work with Tony Shea, Zappos, Delivering Happiness book, and the work your firm is doing now? Sure. Um, Yeah, I guess uh, it's been quite an adventure (laughs) knowing that um, when I first got out of school, I went to school at UC Berkeley. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I I majored in um, Asian American studies at at Cal Berkeley, and that really freaked out my parents because, you know, as as an immigrant, um, you want your child to be successful because of all the, the different challenges they had to go through. So I scared them quite a bit by choosing Asian American studies. But uh, luckily for me, I graduated at a time when the internet was born in Silicon Valley. So I got swept up in the first dot com mm-hmm. uh, back in the you know, late 90s. And so from then, I, I had a, my first real job out of school was KPMG as a consultant, uh, internet strategy. Mm-hmm. And then, as we all know, with the dot-com, after it boomed, it busted. Uh, I got laid off, and I went through a very, my own challenging time in my life because not only did I get laid off, um, I found out that my father had uh, was diagnosed with colon, stage 3 colon cancer, and um, and 9-11 happened all in the same year. So for me, it really put the hard questions, I think, for myself of what's most important. And up until that time, I thought it was about the money, the title, the status that could make me, quote unquote, successful. But after all that happened and I really... Um, really process those down moments in my life, I realized there's more to life. There's a higher purpose and meaning. And at that point, I chose to look for it and discover it for myself. So at that time, I still didn't have a job, but decided to do something out of my element. And I chose to climb a mountain and it happened to be Mount Kilimanjaro in in Tanzania and Africa. Mm-hmm. And asked my uh, friend Tony if he wanted to join, and and he came, and it was quite a in re- retrospect a monumental time of understanding there is more to life than what I thought with the money title status. And from that point forward, I made a decision to only do things, um, whether in work or life, that are meaningful to me, and that to me meant um, having it focused and prioritized around people and prioritizing my own sense of freedom and my own values of authenticity, things like that. So from that period on, I I decided just to be an independent consultant. And that's when I met, uh, or well, started working with Tony as a consultant at Zappos.com. And this was, 
you know, in the early days. So it was still not really a known company yet. Mm-hmm. And as it grew, I grew with it and and started to do, do work around their culture, uh, produce their culture books, and had a really amazing time as, as, saw, as, as we saw that company grow in, in ways that were so purpose-driven um, about what it is they're doing, you know, besides just selling shoes. They really wanted to deliver happiness to the world. And so when Tony received a book deal from the publisher, uh, he asked if I wanted to be a part of it. And I said, sure, of course, why not? And, you know, as a consultant, you just think it's a project, uh, something to check off your list of things to do. And uh, so we we launched the book in 2010. And lo and behold, it uh, we saw demand for happiness in the world. And it was quite uh, an unexpected success. Um, and so we evolved the company into, or sorry, evolved delivering happiness into a company, and um, and and I've been basically running that since 2010 as the CEO uh, and co-founder with Tony. So that company has been been pretty uh, another adventure in itself. Uh, so essentially, we've helped organizations and governments and uh, hospitals. Uh, and businesses around the world. And what's really interesting is that over half of our clients have been international. So this whole concept of happiness and scientific happiness and applying it to the workplace has been amazing to see what can be done. Uh, So it's been, it's crazy to think it's been 11 years, but by being able to show how these principles uh, that are once were once academic but actually can be applied in practical ways towards positive ROI, um, not just a return of investment for retention and attraction of the right people and greater sales for sales folks. And and basically every metric you can think of has been showing an uptick based on being more positive and and applying scientific happiness um, has been working across the board. So now not only have we seen this ROI of return of investment, we also seen this other ROI that I call the new ROI, which is the ripple of impact. And that to me has been most, uh, in some ways, most rewarding because the ripple of impact comes from the me, the, you know, the individual as our leaders in ourselves. And then it ripples to the we, which is our teams, organizations, and then it ripples to the community, which are our, our customers, our partners and vendors, essentially everyone in our ecosystem. Uh, but eventually that ripple goes to society and even to our planet itself. So I think that's what I've, um, you know, didn't anticipate when we first launched in 2010, but that uh, sort of impact is real. If we focus on the right things and prioritize the right things, not just on the profit point of view, but really incorporating what it means for people and our purposes as individuals and our companies. Jenden, I'm very sorry to hear about all the losses you experienced. And thank you for very important work you're doing in the world. I noticed that you started your book with a quote that I absolutely loved. Do not fear death, but rather than lived life. Mm. What was the significance of this quote to you and why you decided to start your book with this quote? Mm. Uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that sentiment of um, my loss. And just so your audience knows, uh, Tony Shea, um, 
he's been not just a business partner, but he's been one of my really closest mates in, in my life um, for our 20 plus years. And so when he passed uh, November of 2020, I was already working on the book. And as everyone went through their own experiences in a totally unexpected year of event after event with COVID, then a recession, a global recession, then of course, um, different things like social unrest as we saw in America and, and, and in different places around the world with the divisiveness, divisiveness of uh, politics and et cetera. And then my year culminated with Tony passing at, at the very end. And, and for me, like I was already well into writing the book, but I, with every one of these significant events, I, I almost had to start over again because it just seemed what I was originally trying to capture, meaning the last you know, 11 years of stories and, and, and research we've done with Delivering Happiness, it just wasn't enough. So I really wanted to kind of expand the scope of the book and relate it in, in a bigger way that it, it's, it's beyond business. Uh, it's beyond how we run companies. And by trying to process at the same time of, because basically I had five weeks left to write the book. The, the original due date was five weeks after he passed. And Luckily, I had a very uh, understanding publisher that gave me a bit more time. But for me, that quote represented something that in the way that I was trying to process how I could even try and communicate all these things that were going on, not just in my life, but the world's life of, of people uh, going through very hard times um, in their own ways. And that quote for me is, is, it's many people have written it in different ways. It's also a very Buddhist belief. Um, but for me, it, it, it captures something that I thought was very true to not only to my, uh, you know, my relationship with Tony and who he was, but my experience of, of interacting with other people in society and what becomes an unfortunate thing is that when we kind of go through our lives fearing death or fearing things that we don't do in life or, or the, you know, the ladder that we're trying to climb or the expectations that people have of us and not live actually authentically to who we are, that becomes the, the tragedy. And death can also be seen as tragedy, of course, you know, with Tony's passing that was so sudden. Of course, that in itself was a tragedy. But at the same time, when people live fully in their everydays, you know, and they, live, they wake up in the morning and they have a sense of who they are and, and their, their purpose and their values that they want to live by, that in itself is living to the fullest. And knowing that no one knows when our time is up, but if we can actually make the most of our minutes and know that we're living it fully, even though we're going to have highs and lows, then that is that worth, uh, that life worth living. In the book, you said that Tony liked to say anything is possible. Could you share some stories about when Tony used this phrase and why this phrase was so important to him and why it is mm -hmm. important to you? Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, I think it was probably just one of his mantras he probably used all the time <laughs> in general, but a very specific story was, and he actually wrote about this in his own book in, in Delivering Happiness in 2010. And I kind of mentioned it earlier on in this podcast, um, which was our trip to Tanzania and trip to Kilimanjaro uh, to try and climb the summit to the summit. And he, um, truth be told, he didn't really travel that much at that time, <laughs> internationally at least. It was one of his first big international trips. Uh, it was like such a hectic time for Zappos and it was on the brink of bankruptcy. It was very, uh, basically a lot of tensions going on in the world and in his life. And so he didn't know what he was getting into, I don't think. And um, it became, as he shared in his book, that it was one of the hardest things he had ever done. And at that point in time, probably the hardest thing that he had ever done mentally, emotionally, physically. Uh, and he just could not believe he made it to the top. And I think that when he shared that in the book, that the fact that he was able to get to that top and to the summit and to exercise so many parts of his being, you know, it's, it's just so not such a physical thing. It's so, so much about every ounce of one's body to, to do something, whether it's a metaphorical summit or, you know, like getting to a new peak or a physical summit like that was with Kilimanjaro. So for him, having exercised all these limits and, and pushed the limits of himself, he just came to that conclusion that, wow, like, I guess, I guess anything is possible when he thought he wouldn't make it so many times or he wanted to turn back, um, but he persevered. So I mentioned it also that moment in my book because that was such a stark memory for, I think for both of us, that trip without even realizing at that time, but then knowing throughout the years how we can look back at that moment and, and for us different in different ways, but just really see what that meant to us. And just that whole mantra of anything is possible. It, it can be applied to anyone. Like everyone has their physical or metaphorical hills or mountains to climb. But if you really persevere and you really stick to what we believe in terms of you know purpose and your values and how you want to live your life in in true and virtuous ways, then really there's you know even though when the odds are against you and I know there's so many people with so many obstacles, there is truth to that uh, fact that belief that anything can be possible if you really really want to put your mind and heart and soul really into it. Yes, and the biggest limitation that many people have is basically the limitation in their own mind what they think they can and cannot do mm -hmm. exactly that is exactly right and there's a term that um we i've been reading up on and especially um before i wrote worked on this book uh my brother actually who's one of my best friends sent me a book called the war of art and it sounds like it's just for you know people that are artists, but it's really not. I think it's the war of art uh, in terms of uh, how we live our lives. As I think we're all creative beings. And so art is part of our lives. Even in, in companies, we have to be creative. 
Um, so the term that the author uses is, is resistance. Yes. And essentially that resistance, we wake up with resistance every day. And it comes up in different forms for all of us in unique ways. But if we can acknowledge that existence of resistance, then we know what we're up against versus just pretending it's not there and not trying to be at peace with it and therefore not know that that's what's holding us back. Not necessarily the external factors, of course they're there, but more so our internal factors of resistance that this even stronger than anything around us. Yes, all this judgment that we heard from other people growing up and then we repeating it in our own head and it creates these boundaries that are holding us back. That's exactly right. And being able to be self-aware about that and just super transparent and honest about it with ourselves, that's probably um, one of the hardest things to do. And that's why I really wanted to focus on not just happiness, but what's beyond, because I think that inner reflection and holding up our own mirror to ourselves, that's what's beyond happiness to me because, well, that's part of it, because it's basically getting into not just our strengths and, and our lights, it's actually getting into our blind spots and our, uh, our shadow sides and our darknesses, which we all have as human beings. And, and being just really honest about that with ourselves is a big part of being able to be at peace with resistance and be able to you know, feel that anything is possible. Yes, and holding up the mirror and seeing not just our body, but seeing the human that is there that needs us. Right. And be the best that we can be. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost having, being able to um, call up that conversation of that inner self in a way that it's not, uh, as you kind of alluded to earlier, in a way that it's not discouraging and, and not beating ourselves up when we quote unquote fail, but being able to say that it's okay. And, you know, there's a lot of different terms being used right now, whether it's self-care, self-love, self-awareness, there's a lot about this self, self, self stuff. Um, but I think it's important to know that it's not selfish to do that. I think it's even more important to do it in healthy ways so that we can all really go to that point of what we're looking for, which is to grow uh, with a growth mindset, keep learning, keep developing. And then that's what we can really see when we really see ourselves come to a, a different place of being authentic and um, our true whole selves. And it is interesting how for most of us, it's much easier to be supportive and loving and helpful to other people. But then mm -hmm. as you said, when we look in the mirror, mm -hmm. it's hard to be that to ourselves. Yeah, that's very, yeah, exactly. I, I, I talk about this metaphor. So basically um, I try to build on a metaphor that uh, Tony used to say, and, and I think that I think is really valid in terms of what you just said. So basically he, he thought that one, one of our roles as leaders is to, to grow others' greenhouses, you know, grow greenhouses around us of the people that we help lead. Even, um, you know, no, even if you're not a CEO, we all lead in some ways. And he said that like, as a leader, you don't really need to be the tallest tree or tallest plant. That's not the point of being a leader. And, and I agreed with that. But what I try to do in building that metaphor or building on that metaphor, it's not, it's not you're just growing other greenhouses. You're actually tending to your own, if not 
prioritizing and growing your own greenhouse first. And it's like the, you know, we always hear in airplanes when they say, you know, put on your oxygen mask first, you know, if there's danger and we don't hear it as much anymore because we're not in planes as much anymore, but it's a very, it's a very counterintuitive thing, but that's what this is all about. Like, so my build on what Tony used to believe is that, well, yes, we do want, our tendency is to want to grow others, but we do have to prioritize our own greenhouse first because otherwise we wouldn't be able to try and, and tend and grow others otherwise. This concept of greenhouses is so important. How do you think it relates to what happened to Tony? Hmm. Yeah, I think that um, for me, as I was really trying to process everything at the same time of his passing and try to capture what I was trying to convey in terms of what I've learned over the years, uh, uh, whether it's in the workplace or not. I believe that you know, there's two things that Tony was really great at. He was tenaciously true to himself. And tenacious is like, you know, he's, just, he's stubborn and in good and bad ways. So yes. that's what he was truly living by. I can relate to that. Yeah, <laughs> which is a strength, but in some ways it can also be too much of a strength can be a weakness. And so the way I try to frame it in that metaphor is that I think he was amazing at tending and growing others, other greenhouses. I think that at times he may have uh, first taken his own for that, either growing others too much or focusing on too, that too much or being too tenaciously true to himself in a way that there were things that he, he wasn't maybe fully aware of in, in um, his self-growth. Um, I'm trying to answer it in a way that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be transparent, but I also can't speak for him, obviously, but I'm just speaking from my, my relationship with him as much as I know him. And the fact that um, I think there were probably times that he could have been tending his greenhouse in, in more, uh, in different ways. Jen, what does beyond happiness means to you? And why is beyond happiness important and needed right now? Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been loving your, your questions, Chris, so far, because it really ties into a lot of the themes that I talk about in the book about beyond happiness and how it, it all ladders up in, in where we are today. So I think why I wanted to bring up this whole topic and conversation around beyond happiness was that there was just so many things that were happening in our lives. And the first time I would say in our lifetime that we saw like a <clears throat> global reset on humanity uh, because of the string of events that happened in 2020. And for me, the, the word happiness wasn't as poignant or relevant anymore. Not to say it's not important and a big part of our lives that we want to, you know, we want to all be happy. But what I wanted to sort of push in, in terms of opening up the conversation is that like when we say happiness, everyone has their you know, connotations of it, of what it means to them. 
Uh, normally it's something that's very, you know, you know, sometimes it's puppies and rainbows and sometimes it's spending time with family and, you know, everyone has their definition. So what I really wanted to open up in the dialogue was that there's more than that. There's more than wanting just to be happy because there's the onslaught of what we saw that we all had to go through in different ways. And I'm sure most everyone listening to this had some form of loss um, or grief um, or challenge, you know, within themselves or their family or people they love. So beyond happiness to me is expanding that it's, it's happiness and, and, and so happiness is important, but it's not everything. And it's pushing the conversation and understanding of ourselves by holding up that metaphorical mirror and really reflecting inside of, you know, yeah, we should celebrate our highs and we should understand what, why that meant so much to us. But at the same time, we should really, really embrace our lows. Those moments in our past where, you know, for me, when Tony passed, obviously, when my dad passed 18 years ago, those were moments that I could be just trying to uh, put away in the closet and, and not think about it. But it, it was not a, until a few years ago that I realized that I had to open up what that grief meant yes. and why I was still holding it so close to me. And when I started reading more about this, I realized that I had to really actually take in the grief and sit with it and embrace it. And then that became sort of an aha moment of until I started doing that, I didn't really understand the heights of my highs, the heights of my happiness uh, until I actually sat still and, and embraced the grief that I was feeling still, you know, after 10, 15 years after he passed. So that for me was those monumental like pivots in my life where I understood, even though I was, you know, delivering happiness for so many years, that was one of those moments that really shifted me in a way of understanding that this more holistic approach to life uh, and how we look at it, it, it needs to be um, more of a, a spectrum rather than a binary, I'm happy or I'm not. Uh, we're all complicated and complex creatures. So by being able to embrace all sides of us, that's where I think we are now, especially given the last 18 months of our lives. Jen, and beyond embracing good and bad, what do you think are some steps people can take to start moving beyond happiness? Yeah, so there's practical things that I expanded upon in, um, in the book because delivering happiness was really about Tony and, and Zappos and how science of happiness came about and how it was applied. And so for me, I really wanted to make this next, uh, this next book really not just conceptual, uh, but also practical. So the concept of it, you know, was like for me, um, came from that level of like, how do we actually introduce more humanity in the workplace? And not just happiness, you know, it's actually bringing in a more humane way of doing business and being profitable and being successful. And actually, as I call it, being adaptive, because we need to, I call it the adaptive age, because the, the rate of change is happening it so quickly these days in a way that human beings are just not physiologically wired to change at that rate. So if we can't, because of technology, AI, et cetera, if we can't change at that rate, what can we do best? And I think one of my points was to just really do what humans do best, which is 
be human. It's, it's, you know, feeling those emotions. It's, it's having empathy. It's being creative. It's being able to take a situation and be able to analyze it in a way that's not like just right from a computer driven mindset or an analytical mindset, but also what's right for us as a human being and each other. And of course our world. So a really big step in that, in, in what we've seen work over the years. And I really try to really refine the, the practical ways about it is uh, simply said is to start with the me. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that, so we have a model, if you can imagine concentric circles and there's a me in the middle, then there's the we in the next outer circle and then the community, as I mentioned earlier. So by starting with the me, you can see how they can all coexist. These layers coexist, but if you don't start with the me, then it gets lost in terms of who your fundamental truth authentically is. Because your relationship with yourself is the foundation for your relationship with anybody else. Exactly, exactly it. Yeah, so I, I talk about a few ways to do it, practical ways, like number one, we, we talk about purpose and values all the time. And, and I think in, the, in previous years, and companies, they focus on the purpose and values of the company itself. But what they haven't focused on as much is what the purpose and values are for the individual. And by being able to do programs and workshops and, and exercises, so every individual in your organization or your team actually identifies their own purpose and values, then you can actually see how those purpose and values from a me level connects directly to the we level and correct uh, and connects directly to the organizational level. So all of a sudden you see people not showing up to work only because, oh, I, I get paid to live these values. They're actually living their own values and they see how they connect to that of the organization. So it becomes their own personal purpose, their own personal values that they're showing up for, not just to receive that paycheck and to you know, hold a job. So I think that's been a, a, one of our biggest learnings in the last several years. One of the things, other things to think about, and I, um, I hope this doesn't sound too morbid, but we've had this conversation throughout the podcast, but instead of working on your resume, what if you were to work on your eulogy uh, instead? And not to say the resume isn't important, but basically when, when people pass away, and of course, Tony's top of mind, but you know, when Steve Jobs passed away, his sister did not talk about all, you know, he, she didn't say, oh, he made a great iPhone, you know, or all those things. She said, she talked about him as a human being. And I think time and time again, when, when you see these iconic people um, go to, you know, really pass away, they, that, it, that's what they're remembered for. And I think us as human beings, that's what we want. And so instead of focusing on how to make, how to climb that ladder and be quote unquote successful, I think we can all take a time to reflect what true success means. And by coming up and, and thinking through your eulogy, like, what do you want people to say? Uh, probably not, hey, he was great because he made the most money <laughs> in his lifetime. Yeah. It was probably be something else. And um, and, work, and then just kind of walking through that exercise, like who's going to be there? And and that, I think it reframes what we do and why we wake up in the morning and how we spend our days. Yes, because being productive is all about being productive in what matters most. It's not just doing a lot of things that doesn't matter. It's doing things that matter to you. 
And if you don't understand these foundational things that I'm talking to listeners now that Jen is talking about right now, then you can be very successful and incredibly miserable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that, what it, I mean, I totally agree with what you just said. And just to put, you know, more like just to build on that, because knowing that we all are going to have bad days, it's just impossible to have a, a you know, a, um, a, a, a happy day of every day we live. So what makes this whole model powerful is that when we do have that foundation and when we're grounded in those purpose and values, even when we have a bad day, even when we have our, one of our worst days, it's okay because we know at least we're spending our time wisely and we never know when it's going to be gone. Yes. Steve Jobs words come into mind about living every day as if it was your last and someday Mm -hmm. you'll be right. That's right. Exactly. Jen, in your book, you speak about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if some of our listeners need a refresher, to give you a very quick overview, Maslow's hierarchy of needs starts with physiological needs, such as the need for food, air, water, and sleep. And once those needs are satisfied, people would then focus on satisfying safety needs, such as the need for shelter, security, protection, employment. And once safety needs are satisfied, humans would then strive to satisfy the need for love and belonging such as the need for family, relationships, and friends. And once love and belonging needs are satisfied, humans would strive to satisfy self-esteem needs, such as the need for achievement, status, and responsibility. And finally, once all lower-level needs are satisfied, meaning physiological safety, love and belonging, and self-esteem, then humans strive to achieve self-actualization needs, such as the need for fulfillment, self-sufficiency, and creativity. John, could you share with us your view on how Maslow's hierarchy of needs has evolved mm-hmm. and how it helps us envision future-proofing our careers, our business, and our lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Uh, so what was really fascinating to me is this Maslow's hierarchy has been around for decades and it's, you know, from, from an academic and psychological point of view, it's been very respected and in many ways it still holds true. But when I started writing and researching this book, I realized, you know, it actually is not that current anymore. There's things that are still real and true that I believe in, like those, basically those elements of that pyramid, the hierarchy, if you can imagine everything that you just said is a layer in the pyramid of, of getting to that, uh, that point pinnacle of self-actualization. But I think two things stood out to me, which was didn't feel right anymore. It didn't feel current. And one of them was that it, he implies a hierarchy so that the base of the physiological needs are required that, re- that base is required and t- for you to get to up the, those levels to the top to self-actualization. But what I found, especially working with you know, countries around the world, is that that's not necessarily true because there are so many people that don't have all of their physiological needs met consistently, let's say, uh, whether it's because of you know, food or shelter or pay. There, there are some people like that that actually are more self-actualized than people that I work with, leaders, you know, C-level, C even C-level leaders around the world that are not quite there. So I thought that was different. 
in that it's not a hierarchy anymore. It's actually a spectrum. And you can have some of each of those layers and still not be self-actualized, excuse me, self-actualized. So I think that was one of the biggest things that stood out in terms of uh, what's changed. The other thing I thought was super fascinating for me was when I started looking into uh, what Maslow did before he passed away. And he actually added a layer at the very top that was above self-actualization mm -hmm. and it's called transcendence. Yes. And that blew my mind because I'm like, wait, why is this not being discussed more? Because he made sure to add that in and say, this is what I missed. And transcendence as he, as he defines it is that when you actually not just all involved in your own personal self-actualization, but you're also making sure others, you're helping others self-actualize as well. So that became this aha moment because it was so parallel to what I was trying to share about the metaphor of, you know, greenhouses. You can attend to your own and that leads to self-actualization, but also you have to grow others as part of what that real, in his word, transcendence mean, or in the greenhouse model, nurturing other greenhouses. So I thought that was fascinating that for some reason that's been swept under the rug of his work. And I don't, I can't think of a better time to bring that out into today's society of knowing that they are hand in hand. Because sometimes I think we can see those that are all too absorbed in their own self-actualization and not thinking about others. And we see the other side as well, where they don't tending to their, not tending to their own greenhouse. But I think if we think about it in that, if I use the model of me, we being intertwined and actually coexisting in order to impact our customers, our, our companies and society at large, that's the current age that I believe that we're living in. Yes, absolutely. And as you were talking about Maslow, I was thinking that, yes, definitely everything is blurred. And even in our own experience, when we analyze ourselves, we can see that some of us are satisfying self-actualization needs as a priority mm -hmm. over other needs that are at a lower level. And one thought that I had as you were talking about Maslow and his hierarchy is that I think to some degree, it's also based on what is minimum required thing to have for a specific level for that particular individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I 100% I, aligned with that. And that's what I think is part of, you know, just going back to one of our early topics of that, about that mirror. It's like the more we can actually be real and, and true to that, holding up the mirror of what's inside and what we're, what's most important to us, then we know those baselines um, for ourselves most, whether it's love or belonging, because we all have our own upbringings, you know, and we all have had our senses of loss or tragedies or traumas. And it's impossible to judge someone else for what they've gone through. There was a, a, a really, uh, I think for me, meaningful quote in the book that I'm going to paraphrase, which is, um, the, the quote was be kind, but I, I, I like to say be human to one another because uh, we just do not know what inner battles people are fighting inside. And so I think that's part of that mirror in the uh, holding up that mirror is understanding and being honest about those resistances that we've carried on 
along the way or, or experienced. And the same applies to being kind to ourselves. Because yes. many of us are very kind to other people, but not as kind. So given that level, the same level of kindness to ourselves. That's right. Exactly. I, uh, it makes me think about a woman in, in, in Japan that she just never thought about using the word happiness or kindness to herself because she was always giving, you know, like uh, Adam Grant's book, Give it, Givers and Takers and, and the concept he talks about there. She was always a giver and she eventually realized that people were just taking from her and she felt that she didn't even deserve, she didn't deserve to be happy or deserve to even talk about it. But going through these exercises of identifying your own personal means of your highs and lows, and we call it the happiness heartbeats of your highs and lows, it gave her this epiphany that she's like, wow, I actually deserve to be happy and I deserve to be kind to myself. And it was just, you know, it was, it was just such a beautiful story of how it, you know, it wasn't this, it, it just sounds so simplistic, but it's in some ways, all of this stuff we're talking about is not rocket science, but it became a huge shift in her world of her being more take, you know, just taking care of herself, well, nurturing her own greenhouse first and realizing that she could be happy and she deserves to be happy. But then because of that, she wanted to make others more happy too. Yes. Yes. Again, it comes back to relationship with yourself is the foundation for your relationship with anyone else. Yeah. If you don't nurture it, it's not going to end well. Yes, exactly. And I have this vision, as you were talking about, of someone looking in the mirror. And for people who need to hear this, when you look in the mirror, just take some time today and look in the mirror in your bathroom. And initially, if you have a lot of judgment towards yourself, you will feel all this judgment, all these bad things that people told you when you were growing up and then when you were a young adult and then you kept on repeating those things to yourself in your mind and it became story that you tell yourself. But as you look in the mirror at yourself in your own eyes, try to be kind to yourself the way you are kind to other people and try to look beyond just your body, just look and see the human that needs you, that needs your support. Mm, I love that. I, I would, I would, you know, just to again, build on, um, <laughs> you're just saying so many things that I agree with and I, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. And another way to think about it practically too, is that um, there's, there's something we call the wheel of wholeness. And if you can imagine a, a pie with different pieces of that pie and every piece represents a, a part of you. And this is a way to help sort of um, build a mental model of you as a whole person. So some examples of what those pie pieces represent are your mental state, your emotional state, state uh, your physical state and your relational state, uh, your financial state, and um, of course your fun state and ultimately your spiritual or purpose state. So when you imagine this all together, and you can rank it, you know, from one to 10 on a scale of one to 10 for each of these pieces, then it becomes this realistic and whole snapshot of yourself. Because sometimes we focus on one too much over the other, but then it becomes a non-judgmental look at where we are as individuals in life. 
And if you do it every once in a while, you know, every month, every quarter, then you can see how those puzzle pieces change and it becomes just a realistic look of what needs to be worked on. You know, what are, what are some challenging points and what are some things that you can celebrate? And we all need to celebrate, especially right now, <laughs> given where we're at. So it's just one way to think about how to, uh, you know, think about how to practically look in that mirror and in, in, in getting a, a, an authentic snapshot of, of yourself. And all in this discussion, it is directly related to your company being successful because about 80% of your success, 80% of your company's success is your mindset. And if you don't have the right mindset, if you have a lot of limiting beliefs, a lot of, a lot of judgment towards you that hold you back, it will significantly impact everything you do, no matter how hard you work, no matter how smart your strategies are, no matter how great your team is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I think even more um, needed uh, more than ever because people are really making choices based on everything they've experienced in especially 18 months, choices of leaving their work or just disengaging, you know, and when you have someone that's disengaged, you know what that means in the end is they're unproductive, they're spending more than half of their time looking for another job, all those things is just, it's not good, it's just going to be counterproductive to what your organizational needs are, what your team's goals are, etc. But when you open these kind of conversations and have real talk with your employees and your teams, then you get to see how much more engaged they are, more productive, more loyal, uh, and and more just basically uh, just wanting to contribute to the whole and knowing that because you care as a leader about them, they'll care that much more about everything that you're hoping for as a leader as well. And this is what will make you an effective leader. That's right. Jen, can you share with us some examples of companies that prioritized happiness and humanity above all else and thrived because of it? And what can we learn from those examples? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, One of them that comes to mind is a company actually in Egypt, and they're called DMG or also known as Mountain View uh, as a brand. And so they're basically an architecture construction company, uh, real estate. They, they build developments and whether it's commercial office uh, or residential. And they, well, basically we started working with them several years ago and it's been really amazing to see at the very origin of it all, how much they embraced what purpose and values meant, what culture could mean to a company once you get everyone aligned in that way with purpose and values and how much more uh, productive and successful they are. So they were able to do that, but they rolled out this whole culture program. And from then their their growth uh, in terms of both uh, growth of employees and also revenues increased. Uh, I think one of the years was like times two and this is before COVID, but I'll share more of like what happened after. But what was happening that astonished me that they really took it to heart because they are an architecture and you know construction company, they actually rebuilt their headquarters in Cairo to represent 
their values within their office. So they had rooms like gratitude room or spiritual room or like or the just places that um, an example, like they built walkways to create more collaboration and connections across um, different functions of the company. And I never saw someone take it to that level where they actually, you know, created physical spaces or pathways to help reinforce how important culture meant to them. And so that was really cool to see. And they actually, because they saw the results, they took it to the next level. So they went from the me to the we, to the community. So they actually started re-architecting their designs for their residential and uh, commercial structures to represent and reflect what scientific happiness can mean. So it's being able to have their own space to have senses of control and autonomy if they wanted to work independently, but also if they wanted to co co collaborate or you know connect with one another, they created spaces for that too, in a very intentional way. You know, using these uh, principles around happiness. So that was just so cool to see how they kept on you know, wanting to share their wealth of knowledge and, and experience of like, we, we don't want to keep this bottled up. And through that time, they, they kept growing in, in terms of, uh, I think they when we first started working with them, they were probably the 20th company, largest company in their space. And then I think now they're on the second largest company in, in Cairo or Egypt. Um, but what was really also cool is that they then decided to help other organizations do this as well. So then they uh, became a partner in Egypt. And so essentially they're officially our DH Egypt partner because they wanted to help other companies be able to understand and apply this so that they can benefit from having a positive culture, having positive people and in and, and, and purpose and values ways. Um, so that in that, their sense, in that sense, they wanted to, you know, transcend and, and be able to grow other organizations in their region in the same way they did. So for me, that was very inspiring. And it, and it totally, it showed, especially during COVID, it was tough for them, you know, because with all these unknowns, they had to shut down construction and they lost a lot of revenue. Um, but they said, you know, we're going to live by our values, people first, and um, we want people to feel safe. So they took a hit and it was pretty hard, but uh, and they took pay cuts so that they wouldn't lay any people off. And at the same time, they started sending out packages to their customers, you know, their residents to keep them safe, keep them engaged with games for their kids. It was, it was really beautiful in terms of what they did in living up to their values. And lo and behold, you know, fast forward 18 months later, they've recovered. And if, if not actually recover, they're actually going, they're, they're growing again. So it just all goes to show when, when those companies that actually double down on what's most meaningful from a purpose and value standpoint, and of course their people, you do see the profits come and then you can and actually can say that, um, you know, you can wake up in the morning knowing that you did the right thing. So that's one of the more inspirational. I mean, I have a bunch of stories I shared in the book, but I loved how what they did in, in rippling their impact out after they saw what, what benefits they read from for themselves. And this is such an amazing example of also how doing this work contributes to the bottom line. Exactly. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things about this. It's people think that you have to choose one or the other, but it really is in my biggest belief. If you don't have profits, there's no company to think about. There's no culture to think about because there's no people that can help run it. But 
the biggest thing about this since Delivering Happiness was launched is that its profits are necessary, but they don't have to be evil. It can be using profits in positive ways. And another example I, I can think of is uh, we worked with Starbucks for several years and you know they've been really successful. They've been around for 50 years in one of the, the most globally known ubiquitous brands in the world. Yes. And during this you know, COVID, they really were put to the test because the previous CEO, Howard Shelton, had already left. There was new leadership. And, you know, as a as a huge you know source of the percentage of the revenue coming from the retail space, after closing everything down, they were they were suffering. You know, there was a huge hemorrhage of, of revenues. But what I loved seeing was that they they actually rallied and, and asked themselves these hard questions that we've been talking about. It's like, what do we stand for? And they realized after 50 years, you know, what does that mission statement on the wall mean? And they basically, you know, there's a lot of different relationships and politics in a huge company like this, but they put all of that aside and they said, we're going to do the right thing. And we're going to live up to our mission. We're going to live up to our purpose. And not only, you know, we have to triage the situation and fix what was, what happened. And for them, they decided to partner with the, their China, like their team from China because of what, you know, they, because China, of course, uh, experienced COVID first. And so they wanted to learn from that, bring it back to the States and bring it back to the other regions around the world. So they did things really in smart ways. But what I really respected what they did was that they put their purpose where their, their, their money is. And they decided that they could do short-term things, but their long-term view, and they basically launched this whole extensive global program so that it's not just profits positive, it's also people positive and planet positive. So now they're reinvesting. Um, I'm not allowed to say exactly how much, but let's say quite a lot of money for uh, you know this quite a big company um, into what does it mean to be a partner, which is the word for employees they have at Starbucks for the long term, not just the short term. What does it mean to uh, help climate change and help the planet in a way that instead of taking away from it, but you're actually not just uh, trying to replenish it, but you're actually contributing to its growth again in more positive ways. So to me, that was a huge act of, you know, putting away differences aside and letting it be super crystal clear on what's, what's leading the company. And, and that came back down to the purpose and its mission. Those are amazing examples, Jan. Thank you. If we zoom in now on just one individual, let's say there's somebody who is relatively senior, they work for a large organization, they have a team they're responsible for, what would you recommend they do? What are practical steps they can take tomorrow morning? I think practical steps would be if, I think the most important thing is whether or not um, this person wants to commit to this kind of thinking and therefore doing. I think a lot of, so I think that's the first step is just having an internal conversation with yourself. Number one, because a lot of people talk about culture these days. A lot of people talk about, you know, taking care of people, um, ha having to fix like these crazy uh, retention rates are just, you know, at, at, a, at, a, at a very abnormal state right now around the world. And so putting that all aside, is there going to be commitment from that leader 
Ask yourself, am I going to actually not just say these words, but am I actually going to do? So basically, am I going to think, say, and do in alignment? Because you can say these things to your team, but they'll know very soon whether or not you're, you know, you really mean it. And it's better not to even say it um, than to put it out there. Then from a practical perspective, I would say, because a lot of this is about stats and stories, and you need both because some people are very data-driven and especially as a leader that you need that to, you need to have those numbers of like what this ROI means. So I would say, you know, what kind of surveys have you already done? Or if you haven't done it, uh, it's probably a good time to do it, especially because things are changing so quickly. Take a look at those surveys and take a look at those results. Have a, a deeper conversation with your like your inner team about what is it that we're hearing and saying and seeing here. Because the worst thing is of those surveys is when you when you ask people to take surveys and you just put them on the shelf and then people are like, well, why did I even try to contribute in the first place? So I would say just take an honest snapshot and look at what's going well and then what's not going well. And then being able to say, hey, you know what? We're going to do something about this stuff. We're going to celebrate what's going well. And we're going to focus on the top two or three things, or maybe even just one thing to make it even super simple so that we can all rally around as a team so that we can help, so we can make sure that we're actually feeling a sense of progress, even though there's so many unknowns around us. So that would be my suggestion of just pick one thing. You don't, you know, you know, you don't want to have to try and change everything at one time. It's just too impossible to do. But that simplicity and showing the actionable results that you can share within your team, that's when people get aligned and excited of, of saying, oh, okay, he or she really means what 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 they say when they want to care about us. Let's do this together. And having that commitment, having that alignment, and that's when you see the real results come in. But Again, going back to the stats, going back to the stories that, that will come out of it, that's what pushes the, the needle on, on, on positive culture change and therefore positive results in your ROI. Jen, and are there any questions that you wish I asked you or any final thoughts you would like to share? Wow, I have to say you had some really great questions, Chris. So I really appreciate you you reading up and uh, and sharing your your insights too and your observations. I think it was it was pretty very additive. So I appreciate all the the work and time you put into this. Um, in terms of anything else to share, I, I would say that um, I think the biggest thing about this is that it's 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 not like I, I said this, I said this earlier, it's like, it's not rocket science and it shouldn't be this huge, you know, formidable task or daunting task of approaching these kind of big questions in our lives. I think that if we can all realize that, you know, going back to that first quote you said, and, and, you know, not to fear death, but fear a life unlived. And just imagine, you know, heaven forbid that we were that our number is up, our days are up tomorrow, or the people that we love. But that's kind of the reality of the world. And it always has been, always has been from day one. So I would suggest that not to make it this, you know, this big task in your head of trying to define your purpose or define your values. It could be very simple. 
And by doing these little steps every day, it makes it so much more actionable, but also so much more meaningful. So I would suggest that it just takes you know one action a day to feel that you're making some progress in the world and especially within your own life and your career and to the people you love. Such a great advice. And as you're doing it, do it with sense of joy. Come back and think, what is it that matters to you? And then go from that perspective. So as you do this work, remember what matters to you and do it with joy. And then you will get much better results and you will enjoy the journey as well. Yes, exactly. Very well said. Jen, how can our listeners learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so um, so the company Delivering Happiness, we're at deliveringhappiness.com. Uh, we also recently launched a site for the launch of the book. Uh, so that's jenlim.com, that's J-E-N-N-L-I-M.com. And for me, I'm I'm a very, I'm an old schooler, so I actually use email still. So if you ever want to email me, feel free. It's just um, Jen, J-E-N-N, at deliveringhappiness.com. And of course, you have a book. And there's that, yes. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Jen. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you so much, Chris. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for all your in-depth questions. And, and yeah, let's, uh, let's definitely keep in touch and, and let me know how I can help. Thank you, Jen. Talk soon. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.